Now, now we begin, okay? <laughs> Last time we were together, we were in the chapter 10 of Zechariah, and, and uh, we started actually in chapter 9 and 10, and, and, and uh, supposedly this last batch of chapters in Zechariah refresh our look at Old Testament theology, uh, and uh, they're really different than this, the first eight chapters which dealt with vision. Um, and then we get to chapter 11, so let's just, let me bring us up to speed before we do that. Okay, a large chunk of the text in chapter 10 dealt with the Lord's anger against Judah because they were worshiping idols. And you think after 70 years of, of uh, time surrounded by the, the, the dreck of the idolatry in Babylon that they would have gone, oh, get me out of here. That didn't work out that way. They brought their idols with them when they came back to Judah. And the leaders in Judah were facilitating that, so it became sort of a miasma. It, it was available throughout the land, and they did nothing about it. So the Lord turns his anger from, from the people who were worshiping idols to, the, uh, to the, the shepherds, if you will, the leaders of Judah, who were allowing it and facilitating it. Then there's a further shift in chapter 10 in which both Judah and Israel, there's, there's a prophecy that both these, these nations, if you will, we're going to have mighty men and be bonded together to serve underneath the Lord God in an, in an, in, uh, in an unstoppable army. And the, the chapter finishes with the Lord's promises to bring his people from Assyria and from Egypt back to the land. So as we prepare today, before we go on to chapter 11, uh, I want to take us like a minute, two, three, I, it's just kind of prompt to see what the Lord does. Uh, to be quiet before the Lord. And I have some, some prayer suggestions for us because chapter 11 begins with flame. Chapter 11 is, is wildfire. And California has had its share this last two, three years. And so uh, as, you, as you prepare to pray, would you please pray for the thousands of those who have been um, forced eviction from the house? Just get out, get out and flee. Take what you can grab and go. And many of them, many thousands of them have lost houses. Last couple of years, <clears throat> and and there are even more who who have recurrent fears, recurrent terror. And they wake up, you know, and and it's just right there. The fire's coming. Um, and then, uh, would you please please pray for them in the situation that they're in right now, that the Lord would begin to redeem the fire seasons. You know, uh, it is not beyond His control. And I want us to pray for the government facility, uh, government uh, uh, leaders and, and CAL FIRE and other uh, firefighting organizations that all pour into California. Um, they don't have God's answer for this. They're just trying to suppress wildfire. And uh, what I, you know, our prayer for those leaders is that they would encounter God, yes, but they would encounter his answer on how to fight fire in California. That vast, that has, there's nothing in the natural that will match that. So we're, I'm gonna ask you to pray for a supernatural answer to, to the ongoing fire season. And just ask that the Lord would redeem that, those fire seasons. That out of that would come people who go, I never would have known the Lord if I hadn't been driven out of my house. Now that's an awful way to, to, for it to come to pass, okay? So then we look for opportunities to kind of help them rebuild. So let's, let's just be quiet before the Lord and ask him for his answers. 
Let's um, come back together. Thank you, Lord, for what you revealed. Maybe that'll get talked about in a bit. Open your text, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 11. This chapter is noted by many scholars as the most difficult, misunderstood, argued over piece of scripture that we have. And, um, and you'll see why in a moment. Translating is not the problem. But once you've got the translation, you have to interpret it. And uh, there's, there's just all kinds of speculations and doctoral dissertations and arguments and, and papers that have been written, all sort of differing and all basically saying, no, I'm right and you're wrong. And sides are, you know, there's sides that divide and they argue over this. <clears throat> so I'm going to try and make it simple. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read aloud to you the first three verses of this chapter. Verse, uh, verse 1 to 3 of chapter 11. It says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that a fire may feed on your cedars. O <clears throat> wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the impenetrable forest has come down. There's a sound of the shepherds' wail, for their glory is ruined there is a sound of the young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. So we all agree that, that nobody knows what this means. <laughs> um, it, yet, I mean, later in the chapter, there's some, some points. It's, it's figurative language. It is, it's stunning language because God is basically, say, in the previous chapters, he's saying, I'm back. I'm going to place myself in Jerusalem. I'm going to be the fire around Jerusalem. I'm, I'm all over you. I'm with you. And in this chapter, you see him pull out and depart, pull out and step away. And so you go, whoa, what shifted? Well, what shifted was, here you have a writer who's, who lives another 40 years after he finishes with his visions. And in that 40 years, Judah plunges into gross sin. And they turn away from God. And so, you know, the Lord says, yeah, I made those promises, but that was contingent on you responding and coming and being part of this and part of a covenant. And, uh, and so here, these first three verses speak of, of coming devastation. Coming, coming uh, if you will, denuding of the land. <clears throat> and we know that took place. Literally, that took place. Now, it's hundreds of years later. But, you know, that, some of these things actually took place later. And then in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord. Okay? And the Lord uh, gives instructions to Zechariah what to do. He's to pasture and to shepherd the people, the flock of Judah that are doomed to slaughter. And, and so this, it's a situation in which the Lord is saying, all of you, you know, are like sheep that, is going to be, that are going to be slaughtered. And, and there's a reference to other men or nations that buy part of this flock and kill them. There's no punishment for that. And these perverse men or nations then exult and say, oh, bless the Lord, bless Yahweh of all things, for I have become rich. And you kind of go, how, how can somebody use the name of the Lord, the I am God, over the slaughter of innocents? 
And yet, you, all you have to do is go read, read a little history. And that, that's not unusual. The name of God has been named on every battlefield. <laughs> you know, before the battle, after the battle, in the foxhole, things like that. You know, the name of God is, it is uh, you know, it's supposed to just make things all better. Okay? And the Lord follows this comment with a blast at the shepherds who have no pity on this doomed flock. <clears throat> and he says, For I shall no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For behold, I will cause the men to fall, each into another's power, and into the power of his king, and they will strike the land, and I shall not deliver them from their power. The Lord's basically saying, I'm putting you on notice, I'm stepping back, and there's just going to be blow upon blow, and, and, and it's going to be awful. Now here, there are multiple, multiple interpretations. First, that intertestamental period. That's, a, that's the period of time, perhaps 80 years after Zechariah dies. That would make it 400 B.C., you're after Nehemiah. You're, you know, after the close of the Old Testament canon, God has said everything he's going to say until the time of Jesus of Nazareth. So 400 years pass with silence. There's no prophet that speaks. You know, there's no one who comes from the Lord and, and says, this is what the Lord will have you here for 400 years. So during this intertestamental period, um, there's many armies and rebellions and leaders that rise to oppress Judah, and then there's leaders who rise to lead Judah. There's even a guy named Bar Kokhba who was called Messiah, who led, led zealots, who led against the Seleucid, uh, Seleucid Empire and won. You know, part of it. Um, so 40 years after the ministry of Jesus saw the rise of at least three groups. So this, this, Jesus is gone. The church is rising. The, the, uh, the apostles are, are, they, they are they're gone. They're doing apostolic stuff. They're in the far corners of the known earth. And then three separate groups of Jews rise and hate each other. They fight each other. They kill each other. But worse than that, you know, or, you know that's in spite of that, they, they hate the Romans and they hate the Roman presence in Judah. <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, uh, their, their, um, their leadership is awful in, into the teeth of the Roman presence in, in Judah. And there's another interpretation that all these things about Judah are going to take place uh, against Judah and Israel at the time of the second advent when Christ returns to earth. He comes as the reigning king. And at that point, some of these things that Zechariah is talking about will take place at that time. And so that's sort of the, well, we don't understand that. It hasn't happened yet, so we're going to throw all that into the bin of when Jesus comes, we'll get all that. <clears throat> and now, regardless of how we speculate on verse 6, the Lord says he is not going to deliver those shepherds from destruction. Shepherds mean being leaders. You know, leader after leader after leader for Israel, for Judah, and against, you know, the Lord says, I have nothing to do with any of them, any of them. I have no pity for them. So beginning in verse 7, the shift is from what the Lord was saying to what Zechariah was doing. And he, the Lord instructs him what to do. He says, so I pastured the flock doomed to slaughter. Okay, now let's pause right in the middle of the verse. Flocks weren't raised to be killed. Fox, uh, flocks were, were raised to breed and have multiple births 
and and the way your 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 worth and your value and your you know, how you had had a place in the community was you became a shepherd and you had you know flocks and herds and cattle and and sheep and goats and whatever it was okay but you didn't set aside a flock for slaughter okay now perhaps you know they might have taken male lambs okay you can only have so many rams in the flock and and but what you want are lots of breeding females and so you just cull all those male lambs and they go they go for the service of worship in Jerusalem as you know, the, the lamb that's going to be offered at Passover. Those are all male lambs. Those were not female lambs. Trust me. <laughs> a female lamb is worth vastly more than just yeah, dinner. <clears throat> okay, so uh, Zechariah says, I pastured the flock doomed to slaughter. He's talking about Judah. Hence, the afflicted of the flock. And I took to myself two staffs, the one I called favor and the other I called union. So I pastured the flock. Now you got to remember this: this prophet lives forty more years after his visions, and and he lives to see this desperate state of Judah, and he begins to shepherd and care for the afflicted, the broken, the lost, the the befuddled, the the widows, the poor, the orphan, the poor, you know, the, those who are who have no place in that society, and they are drawn to him. He cares for them. So the sense of the text is, these are the afflicted ones who responded to the Lord and to Zechariah out of their need. But the vast majority of Judah turned away and despised the prophet. Now Zechariah took two shepherds' staff. Okay? Now we think of a shepherd's staff that has a crook in it. You know, the, the, I think they're called crozier, crozier, you know, for the high church, people in high church, there's there's a bishop parading around with a, they call it a staff, or a, it looks like a shepherd's staff with a hook in it. Perhaps they had hooks, perhaps they were just good long staffs. Okay, so he has two of them. One he names favor, and the other he calls union. The former favor refers to the Lord's character. You know, his outpoured love, his outpoured mercy, and his provision, his, his, his grace, if you will. And the latter staff was called Union, which spoke of the rebonding of, of Judah and Israel. Now, Israel, we know, is scattered, gone, out of sight. The Lord knows where they are. The remnant of Judah is sitting in Jerusalem, and there's a whole bunch of people from Judah who are still in Babylon. Okay? But the Lord's desire is to see that union again, to bring his people back together. <clears throat> Zechariah says, I took these two staffs. Really, he takes these values. He takes the heart of, the, of, the, of, of the, what those words mean. And with them, he shepherded the people of Judah. Now, in verse 8, is another reference to Zechariah's leadership. Um, but again, we do not know what is meant by the words annihilate. Okay? Because uh, it can also be translated with the word efface. And when you efface something, you, you know, our term, modern term would be erase. You, you remove all public images, writing on the wall, public records, any cuneiform tablets, tablets, any records, whatever, of someone that are crushed and broken and scattered, you know, and they, they cease to exist in memory. It's, it's, a, it's a removal of them from the, the community in such a way that, um, 
you know, you can't, you, you know, a generation passes and nobody knows who they were. Okay? There's a, there's a high probability that, um, that Moses, when he fled from Pharaoh, that there was an effacement, if you will, all the battles he had won, and he was a general. He had won wars. All, all the things he had done to elevate himself in Egypt, that was effaced. That was removed. Whatever monuments had been put up, they came down and were pounded to dust. And so that's why you go back and you try and dig up references of Moses. They're not there because of that if you'll, annihilation of, of his record, the effacement of record. Okay? So here in verse 8, there's this word annihilate or efface. And, um, and we really don't know what happened to those three shepherds that Zechariah says, I'm, I'm so... Uh, bent against them, I, it, but they detested him. They hated Zechariah, and he was just completely, the word impatient is used. Okay, we don't know what took place. Judging by how the Lord spoke about uh, having no pity on the shepherds who had been caring for the doomed flock, the Lord had had it, the Lord had just had it with those shepherds. You know, I'm, I'm through with you. Zechariah continues in verse 9 saying, I will not pasture you. I will no longer be a resident shepherd to you. What is to die, let it die. What is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And let those who are left eat one another's flesh. You go, whoa. You know, that's, that's about as hard as you get in public discourse at any time. And it's like, mm, okay. Now, the leaders of Judah were so disturbed with Zechariah, uh, they, they were, he, he, was, he was so disturbed with their leadership and with the people because of their persistent ungodliness that he finally he steps back and he says, if these shepherds are to die, let them die. So be it. You know, if their memory is to be effaced, so be it. And those godless ones who remain will devour each other. Now, we know that in the months following up uh, leading up to the siege of Jerusalem. And I mentioned before, there were these three groups in, in Palestine hating each other, killing each other on occasion. But they, more than they, they hated the Roman presence. They hated Roman rule. But they were caught up in this dragnet and they were all, those three, three groups and, and um, better than a million people were in Jerusalem when it was besieged in AD 70 by, by Titus, who was a Roman general. And uh, it was a desperate situation. But one of the groups were a group of zealots. And they destroyed all the food stocks in the city. They set fire to them, destroyed them. Thinking that if we take away the food, the people will be desperate enough to fight their way out of the city. They won't be passive. They'll be desperate and they will fight the Romans. Well... That resulted in episodes that are recorded of cannibalism inside of Jerusalem. And ultimately, a million people were killed. Nearly, nearly a million people were killed in the city. And the walls were knocked down. The temple, Herod's temple was knocked down. The city was crushed and burnt. And they sowed, it says they sowed it with salt. They just said, Nobody's going to live here ever, ever, ever again. Now, not all of that went down. You know, there's still bits and pieces of it we find in Jerusalem today. But 
it was horrific uh, because the Romans had had it with these rebellions. They'd been building and building, and they'd lost soldiers, and they'd lost areas, and finally they went, kill them all. And, and um, there are those who, who look into history, and they see this fall of Jerusalem and the comment about cannibalism, and they say, oh, look, Zechariah was predicting the fall of Jerusalem. I think that's a springboard that's unwarranted. I, I, you know, it's possible. I, I will grant that it is possible. But I don't see that the scriptural connection. I think it's an extrapolation that says, oh, this word got mentioned over here. Well, and it happened over there. That must mean that this has to do with that. And perhaps they're right. I don't think so. Now, in verse 10 and 11, Zechariah takes the staff named favor and he cuts it into pieces symbolically stating that the Lord will have nothing to do with the people of Judah and the rebellion to him and his prophet now Zechariah too had made a covenant with all the peoples okay now it's a plural so there were, pro- there were, there were people from Judah and there were probably people groups that had gathered into Jerusalem as a, a uh, economic center as a place of worship you know, when you speak, speak of peoples, that usually also includes Gentiles. Okay? So there had been a covenant somehow between Zechariah and the peoples when he symbolically took on the shepherding role. Quote, So it was broken on that day, and thus the afflicted of the flock that were watching me realized that it was the word of the Lord. So this handful of the flock that clung to Zechariah recognized that when he takes this staff named favor, that chops it into pieces. It is not just a momentary fury on the part of the prophet. He probably felt like it, but... <laughs> yeah, that wasn't... They understood this, that the Lord was in this. Okay? And they also understood that this was a symbolic act. And they knew that the Lord uh, was basically removing his favor, and he was departing from their land, and that um, the Lord was stepping back and removing his covenant of security and restraint with them because of their gross sin. This, uh, you know, this is a, a replay of, of what he did with both, uh, both Israel, and they went to the Assyrians, and with Judah, and they went to Babylon. And here we are in, in AD 400-something, and the Lord is saying, I, you know, I've had it with you again. <clears throat> So um, with that, he no longer protects Judah, no longer repels other invading nations. And the door is then open for the Seleucid rulers that follow Alexander the Great. And they decimate Palestine, followed by the Romans who decimate Palestine, followed by the Ottoman Turks who decimate Palestine. So one of the things you could say, well, how did that happen? What, what do you mean decimate? So the Ottoman Turks, when they took over the Holy Land, they moved their people in to occupy Palestine. And um, they brought with them these large, I mean, they were large goats. And those goats ate everything. They deforested Israel. They would climb up into the trees and eat, eat, eat everything out of the inside of the tree. You know, they, they slowly and systematically killed forests. In Israel. And so when the Jews came back in 1948, 47, 48, one of the first things they started to do was 
plant trees because there were no trees. It was a desert. And the, and the way that you get rain to fall coming off the, you know, the storms coming off the Mediterranean, you've got to have green belt. You've got to have trees and trees and trees and trees that provide an atmosphere that makes the, the storms pause, drop their rain, and then move on. Prior to that time, storms would go right through, and Israel was a desert. So, example of devastation among, you know, that happened. Okay? In verses 12 and 13, Zechariah says to the people of Judah, If it's good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. Okay, so let's take these in two parts. <laughs> First part is, he's demanding of Judah to terminate the relationship he had with him. What he asked for is, symbolically, severance pay. Okay? And the second phrase, that may be even in a more emphatic way to say, I am done with you. The leaders of Judah then weighed out 30 pieces of silver as his wage. That exact amount is what it took to buy a slave in ancient Israel. But it is also referred to as an amount that is just not worth mentioning. It was a trifling amount. Zechariah was paid dirt wages. And then the Lord said to Zechariah, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. Do you get the shift? We just went messianic. We just, we just shifted in the text where you kind of go, whoa, this speaks of what is coming. Okay? Now, uh, that's what Zechariah did. He, he took that silver and he to the potter. Okay? <clears throat> now, if you recall in Matthew 27... The Jewish leaders had suborned Judas Iscariot. He'd come to them. He'd offered to betray Jesus. They offered to pay him for that. And he named a place and a time, which was at night in the Garden of Gethsemane, where there are no big crowds of followers, of people traipsing after Jesus. It's a small band of men and Jesus. And here comes, here comes a cohort of armed temple guards who come and seize him after dark so and we know that Judas uh, takes that those 30 pieces of silver and he runs back to the leaders into the temple and he take it back take it back and they go no you know you he, what does he do he throws it on on the floor of the temple now and he, he runs out okay that was understood that when that money hit the floor, uh, it was blood money. A man's life had been bought with that money. So they could not put that money in the treasury. So they swept it all up and they designated Joe over here, Joseph. Now you take that money, you go to such and such a potter, and you purchase this piece of agriculturally, agricultural wasteland. You couldn't, it would not grow, it would not become anything of any worth whatsoever. And they purchased that piece of land from a potter for a place of burial for strangers, for foreigners in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and like the prophet Zechariah was rejected, so was the good shepherd, Jesus. So, look quickly back to the poem 
if you will, in verses 1 to 3. If you recall, it starts with the, the flame that's consuming the, the, the cedars of Lebanon. These were, these were ancient forests. You know, the, the temple that, that uh, Solomon built was built of cedar. Uh, only the extremely wealthy could afford, could, could afford to live in the wood structure. Uh, and yet David had amassed all this cedar by way of Hiram, the king of Tyre, to ferry that down the coast and move, those, move that, those logs and that lumber to get ready to build the temple. And here in chapter 11, the fire sweeps through the cedars and uh, the impenetrable, impenetrable forest has come down. Okay? I think uh, you can tie together the rejection of the Messiah with the opening of the doors of Lebanon to raging fire and the destruction of the oaks of Bashan. Now, Bashan is um, eastern side of the Jordan River, northwest of Jerusalem, and it was uh, known for its cattle and known for its awesome oak trees. And in the text, the scripture just says, they're gone. The oak trees are gone. Verse 14 says that Zechariah cut his second staff, Union, into pieces, signifying the bond between Judah and Israel that the Lord had prophesied was not yet to be. And the relationship between the two nations was left broken in pieces. It hasn't come to pass yet. Zechariah is then instructed by the Lord in verse 15 to take up again the equipment of a foolish or useless shepherd. That equipment would have included a a bag of food, a reed pipe for calming, you know, you could play melody to get the the sheep to settle or to call them. You could could hit a piercing note and they'd lift their head and, and move toward him. Okay, so there was a reed pipe, a knife, and a case of supplies for treating wounds and resetting broken bones. This symbolic act is the precursor to what follows. Okay, so Zechariah goes and equips himself, and then the Lord says, For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who, flo- who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. Now here, the Lord is quoting scripture. He, the Lord Yahweh, is, is using the scripture of Jeremiah and Ezekiel regarding the vile things that the leaders of, Jerusalem, of Judah did to the flock, to the people. The actions of the false shepherd in the absence of the godly shepherd of the Lord's choosing uh, are, are self-pleasing and savage. They're egregious. You know, the picture of, of choosing, again, you know, eat, uh, instead of, if you're gonna, in his case, he doesn't slaughter the flock. He slaughters it and eats it and then tears off, you know, literally is tearing off of the hoofs. It's a picture of, of just rampant, outrageous behavior. Further, the Lord raises up, uh, the one that the Lord raises up will have no contact with the dying, the scattered ones, the broken, and, heal, and, the, and the healthy ones. 
The Lord lays out the judgment that will fall on this useless shepherd to finish the last of chapter 11. Now, there's a, a bunch of scholars who say, oh, well, that's obviously Antichrist. That's obviously someone who is going to be um, a world leader doing evil things. And um, we'll find out. So now, Forge, um, I, I agree. This is a perplexing piece of scripture. Um, but we do see some light in the fulfillment where you see 30 pieces of silver given to Judas to betray Jesus and then the casting of those pieces of silver on the floor of the temple. We can understand how uh, some of what the Lord was asking Zechariah to act out and to symbolize in the shepherding of the people of Judah. <clears throat> we can also hear in our spirits the pain of Judah as the Lord withdraws uh, when they disobey, when they detested him and his prophet. We know that Jesus was rejected. Uh, he was falsely tried. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was mocked and he was led out to be executed by the Romans. And, but that opened a door for the Gentiles, for us. Israel has suffered mightily for 2,000 years because they, they turned away from the Good Shepherd. Um, useless, evil shepherds, if you will, both Gentile and Jew, have risen over and over and the, to compound suffering. And they've been, they have savaged the Jewish population. It's our responsibility before the Lord to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to pray for the day when all Israel, the combined Judah and Israel, when all of them are swept into the kingdom of God. Now, we're surrounded by Jewish people who worship what they know not. They repeat scripture, but they're blinded so that they, are not, they cannot grasp the love of God in Christ. Um, they've been so misused for 2,000 years by supposed Christians, quote-unquote, that they cannot yet open their hearts to the Lord God and to his Son, the risen Savior, Christ, the Messiah. Now, if God has placed Jewish roots in your family, you're blessed. If you have relationships with Jewish people, you are blessed call on heaven to open their eyes because you see it's going to take revelation it's going to take something from heaven for them to go oh I see I feel never, I've never knew, known this before That's, it takes his revelation for that kind of a shift <clears throat> and we get to display the love of God for them to love them well now Pray that they can come to recognize their Messiah, Jesus, and come flooding to him. The good shepherd stands waiting and would gather them all up into his arms and take them, carry them all to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, um, throughout this chapter, it has been you, Yahweh, the I am God, that's been instructing his prophet how to act and what to do. Lord, we want to be like your prophet Zechariah to do what you tell us to do, speaking your words, doing your deeds, 
by faith. So we turn our ear to you. We turn our heart to you. We trust you, Lord, that you have assignments for us. Lord, there are those in our midst with callings that are rising up. There are those here, Lord, that will have assignments, awesome assignments. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that that includes contact with, relationships with, and, and uh, spiritual conversation with Jewish people, Lord. They, are, they continue to be your people, Lord. We, your sons and daughters, say thank you, Lord, for what you have showed uh, here in this passage. Um, we invite you, Lord, to keep showing, to keep opening this passage that's just uh, difficult to understand. In Jesus' name, amen.